This is Nick Mamatas, editor of Wonder and Glory Forever, awe-inspiring Lovecraftian fiction, and you are listening to the HP Lovecast. Hello, and welcome to episode 40 of the HP Lovecast podcast. I'm Michelle Brittany, editor of the James Bond in Popular Culture and the Bram Stoker-nominated Horror in Space. I write on all things pop culture with a special emphasis on the horror and spy genres. And I'm Nicholas Stiak, a pop culture scholar of Peplum Films, Industrial Music, Horror Studies, and the editor of The New Peplum from McFarland. Michelle and I also co-edited Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern, also from McFarland. On today's episode, we'll be discussing Vinegar Teeth, a 2018 Dark Horse comic book series written by Damon Gentry, Troy Nixie, art and letters by Nixie, colors by Guy Major, and a cover art by Nixie and Major. So let's get started by a quick plot synopsis. Vinegar Teeth begins much in the same way as Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. The amnesiac alien Vinegar Teeth crash lands in Brick City's reservoir, and in the process, unbeknownst to him, contaminates the water supply of microscopic alien organisms that, over the course of the story, infect the populace of the town, driving them chaotically mad. When Vinegar Teeth emerges from the reservoir, he happens upon Detective Artie Buckle, undercover between two criminal groups performing an illegal exchange of contraband. Vinegar Teeth foils the sting operation by eating the main suspect. For his heroism, Vinegar Teeth is made a police officer by the mayor of Brick City. He is partnered with Buckle, who is less than thrilled that he must mentor the alien to become a cop. Buckle takes to the streets of Vinegar Teeth, stopping a French-Canadian smuggling operation and attempting to thwart a bank robbery by a troop of Woodland Scouts. Vinegar Teeth saves the day again during the robbery and is awarded with more accolades by the mayor while Buckle quits the force in disgust. Meanwhile, the criminal activity in Brick City increases due to its citizens drinking the contaminated water. Buckle and Vinegar Teeth, after a night of drinking, reconcile and take to the streets as a team to apprehend many of the narrow duels. Despite their efforts, the negative energy from the city is too pervasive, and Vinegar Teeth's father, the Azathoth-esque cosmic deity Kazothro, begins his invasion of the city, sending his minions down and plucking up buildings to eat. Buckle hits upon the idea to play a recording of his favorite emotional song over the emergency airwaves. Vinegar Teeth, whose real name is revealed to be Zathral, defies his father, climbs the radio tower to plant the recording, uh, but he winds up dropping and breaking it, forcing Buckle to sing instead. The ploy works, and Kalzothro and his legions are repelled. So, Michelle, thoughts on Vinegar Teeth? Is it a comic you liked? Uh, yeah, definitely. I enjoyed uh, how entertaining it was. Uh, it was a fast-paced read. Um, I actually read it for a Goodreads uh, to count uh, <laughs> at the very end of the year, I think about a year ago. Uh, but um, yes, very enjoyable. I think the only thing that was a disappointment for me was the last panel 
because I felt that the action of uh, Vinegar Teeth, our, our alien hero, who returns to space ran counter to his uh, character development through the entire uh, four-issue series, uh, which was to be a good cop. So um, I did feel that was a little bit of a disappointment when I, I actually wanted to see this series you know, continue um, and to be developed over uh, additional stories. Uh, and while it is kind of open-ended, I was imagining that uh, Buckle and Vinegar Teeth out there fighting crime. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think this is an ambitious comic. It's trying to trying to juggle Lovecraft stuff, the buddy cop formula, being a horror comic, being an action comic, being a comedy comic, and that's a lot to ask for. And in other endeavors, it would it would fail on. And I think for all those points, it's super successful. And it, it is funny. This is a funny uh, comic, and it's very enjoyable to read. But like, like you, the, the last panel just doesn't seem to fit with how the story should have gone. Through the entire uh, narrative, you know, Vinegar Teeth, he, he's overtly stating, I want to be a good cop. I want to be a good cop. I want to help people out. And in the last panel, he's out in space, and he's just like, I don't mind being out in space at all too badly. It's, it sounds funny out here. And I, I get why it ended that way, but it it does. It seems like it's just a, a crappy end to where his character arc should have gone. And I agree. I, I would have preferably had a last panel of Vinegar Teeth and Buckle in their squad car. We, you know, let's keep going fighting crime. And and, and again, both endings would have been open-ended to, you know, make a Vinegar Teeth you know, series two or whatever. But yeah, I 100% agree. Just, just a let-down ending for an otherwise great comic. So... This is this is a buddy cop uh, comic, believe it or not. If you took color out of space and made it a buddy cop film, you would have vinegar teeth. And what are your thoughts on that kind of co uh, combination? Um, I think with vinegar teeth, it it actually works really well. Um, you know, when I was reading it, I wasn't actually thinking about color out of space, but you making that point, um, it does fit, particularly with the the fact of the water source being contaminated and that uh, it causes people to go mad and um, you know react in very chaotic um, you know ways the fact that you know they're they're in a um, election year um, and crime is just rampant through brick city um, I think it's actually kind of a, a, a neat way to subvert Color Out of Space and, and several others that we've read uh, over over the years. So I, I actually think it works well here. Well, we, we've seen quite a few adaptations of Color Out of Space where they've tried to take it somewhere else. And for the most part, they're, they're pretty unsuccessful. I mean, we watched the, the Will Wheaton the curse <laughs> and that was awful we watched a color out of darkness which was kind of eh, um a lot of them and you know to slap the buddy cop formula on it that seems like kind of a hail mary pass of what else can you do with color out of space make it a buddy cop formula but but it does work um i mean if you think about it like the 80s gave us some really good buddy cop films such as Lethal Weapon, 48 Hours, and even kind of some silly ones that still worked, like K-9 and Turner and Hooch. Mm -hmm. But, like, the 90s came and you just had crap. Uh, cop and a Half, uh, Stop on My Mama Will Shoot, and, and of course, the, the ultimate slap in the face, 
Theodore Rex, where Whoopi Goldberg is partnered with a T-Rex, and and I remember seeing that as a kid, and it was awful. And of course, we've seen you know YouTube commentaries on that show, and it's terrible. But if you think about Vinegar Teeth, in theory, should be no different than Theodore Rex. You know, instead of partnered with a T-Rex, it's partnered with quote a scrotum looking in quote alien but it works it, it actually you know they bond they they have action adventure type stuff and i think one of the reasons it's successful is it makes me think of the other buddy cop film um, last action hero where it's where it's a meta film it's a very self-aware film that pokes fun at itself um there's a sequence at the end of Vinegar Teeth where Vinegar Teeth's climbing the tower to plant the recording, and he's like, will this work? And Buckle says, you know, this is an action comedy adventure. Contrived plot points are to be expected. I mean, that's tongue pretty much in cheek. And I know there's some other instances of it. Um, yeah, actually, I was thinking back to um, the instance, and I think it might have been in issue three, but we had a a Riley character through issue one and two who really chides and is a practical joker um, towards um, Buckle. And then all of a sudden in, I think, issue three, Riley, our detective, has been replaced by another Riley. And uh, the writers, you know, broke the fourth wall to say... Well, yeah, you know, he, he was so, the original Riley was so annoying that we just replaced him. You know, and it's instances like that where, I mean, it, it you're, you're not meant to take Vinegar's teeth seriously. And um, I think, you know, this just kind of helps. And I think it's always helped when you, when you have, like in a movie where it sort of breaks that fourth wall and kind of brings you in on the joke. And I think these are great instances of that, that kind of narrative structure or technique, I mean. Right when you said uh, that they swapped the Riley character out for a different Riley character, it totally made me think of uh, Wayne's World Two, where Mike Myers is off to stop a wedding and he stops at a gas station and this this grizzled gas station attendant comes out. Mike Myers is like Wayne, you know, Campbell's like, how do I get to the church? And the guy's like, uh, he's like stumbling and and he breaks the fourth wall. Uh, Mike Myers is like, look, this actor isn't working. We need a better actor here. And they swap <laughs> him out and, and they bring in Charlton Heston who completes the scene. And I, I just totally remember that scene while you were saying that. And that, that totally occurs in Vinegar Teeth. <laughs> so, Vinegar Teeth takes place in Brick City, which is, well, it's an, it's an interesting town. Um, kind of a hodgepodge of different eras and art styles and atmosphere. Yeah, um, you know, I know that we've talked about the city before, and I know with my research with uh, City Symphonies of the 1920s, that was more a day in the life of a city and it focuses in on the citizens. Um, so Brick City is a little different um, because I would actually say that Brick City is uh, very much a supporting character and I, I would say maybe it's the the third list in the cast, so to speak. Um, it's constantly dark, it's overcast, it seems to be perpetually nighttime um, and we have that, that uh, that's comparable to uh, movies like Gotham. Gotham always seems dark. I'm, and I'm thinking of the television series. I mean, you mean I think Batman the, uh, television series? The, the, yeah, the Batman, but it's called Gotham. Oh, oh the Gotham TV. I'm yeah. sorry. Okay, yeah. no, keep going. Um, so 
you know, I'm very much reminded of like that, Dark City, where it's always in darkness. I think of the architecture. And, and the Brick City is made of brick. Um, so you also get that sense of it's a very industrial town, too. There's factories, you know, we see smoke billowing into the atmosphere. It's dirty, it's grungy. We see a lot of the, the underbelly. Um, it's seedy. Um, but there's also the, the, um, the art style, too. And I think uh, that is very interesting, too. I think you had comments on that, Nick. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, uh, it's the city itself. Kind of, like you said, Dark City. I think this this uh, the setting of Brick City is extremely like Dark City, where it's it's not quite anachronistic, but it feels like it's drawing from different eras, you know, in its architecture, in its technology. There, there's a definite. It does take place like post World War Two. There's a line in here where Buckle says it's World War seventy five out here. You know, some outlandish number. So meaning, mm -hmm. you know, this is definitely post nineteen forty five. But it operates like it's still like in the Prohibition era, even though characters are drinking, and we are going to be talking about the drinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, but it's not really. A, it's not really a Prohibition era, but like it operates like it is. Like. Um, Buckle goes into a bar to see his favorite singer perform, but the way he enters the bar and, like, kind of roughs it up, it's like he's busting a speakeasy. And in terms of, like, architecture, yeah, it's full of brick. There's no, like, there's no glass, there's no metal. It's all really old-school, uh, well, bricky. It feels like, you know, 1940s, 1950s, you know, film noir. Um, but yeah, very factory-oriented. In fact, there very, like uh, like all old CD movies, you know, you have the obsequious dock sequence, and in fact, they even yep. poke fun at that. Where Buckle's like, "We're off to the docks." There's always criminal activity at the docks, mm -hmm. but but it's a it's a it's an it's a good city that I think lends well to, you know, if it wasn't a comedy, it still would take place like in a good like Lovecraftian setting. It's not Arkham. It's not full of witches, but it does feel like that kind of, you know, really weird old-style modernity that's creeping in. Yeah, I mean, it's very low-tech. Um, you know, they use, they spotlight on, like, shortwave radios, the, the little handheld radio that seems like it's, you know, something special, uh, early-looking TV broadcasts. Um, it's very old-timey, and, you know, we've talked about it before, uh, it's it's a theme that comes up uh, in other stories, and that's the idea of nostalgia. And I think there's a, a real sense of this nostalgic kind of drawing into um, this fictional city. Um, it really does seem to trans transcend a lot of different time periods, like you were saying. You know, is it 1920s? Well, no, not really. But there's a lot of elements of the 20s. But there's also the 40s and it's and like the, the 50s. 20s and 30s and 40s all merge together. Yeah, into kind of this exaggerated form, which is in keeping with the more uh, overarching artistic style that uh, Nixie uh, incorporates here, which um, is really kind. Character, uh, the caricature. arts, the art style in this comic is insane. Yeah, it's very, you know, and I think I mentioned to you, uh, as we were preparing our notes for this, I, I thought of like, where's Waldo? <laughs> because it's so crammed full of detail and it's squiggly lines. And I, you know, I 
even though there are straight lines, as I was thinking about this, I couldn't re really remember straight lines as much as all the kind of exaggerated, squiggly wrinkles and, and you know, texture to the faces, the clothing, the, you know, everything that malleable has a real interesting texture versus the city, which is definitely more, there's a solidness about it, but it's also almost kind of dreamy too at the same you know, time it just this just occurred to me as i know we're about to talk more about art style but yeah the it doesn't behave the way it should in this i mean the care it makes me think of an old cartoon on comedy central called dr cats where the style of the animation is the characters the the borders to them are constantly moving and it, they, they would always make fun of it. they call it squiggle vision that everything's in a constant state of motion but yeah the characters in here their, their clothes are all baggy they don't fit they're all squiggly and I just now realize, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of a Lovecraftian thing where objects don't behave the way they're supposed to. Um, an obtuse angle behaving like it's an acute angle, I think they say in Call of Cthulhu. I mean, I mean, it, it's it's there's nothing really cosmic about it. It just the art style is so one, like you said, whereas Waldo, it's very busy, it's very crammed, but there's so much. I, I think the best term to call it is in the oxymoronic phrase it's static movement you know even if a character is just standing there their faces are like grotesque with like lumps and and other things that it just everything seems like it's in a a state of movement and it adds to that kind of this almost grotesquery that's going on but i mean which lends well to a lot of the gory scenes and there's a lot of gory scenes in this but it's you know, it's kind of comical gory. It's kind of splatterpunk in a way. But, yeah, the, the art style is just bizarre. But in a good way. Yeah, well, and I think it really lends to this this buddy cop cosmic horror mashup. And, and again, it, it really complements well. I think, uh, you know, nod also to Guy Major, who is the colorist of the series, who uses a really kind of that a predominantly brown uh, palette and lots of shading, which helps to accentuate uh, the art of Nixie in a in a brilliant way. And then you know the greens and the reds that come out, you know, because Vinegar Teeth, like all of his uh, speech bubbles, are all green that really stand out, which again is going to be indicative because who's our hero? You know, our hero is Vinegar Teeth, and, and Buckle is becomes his sidekick. So there's really a lot of focus into Vinegar Teeth, who's this alien who's kind of muted, but all of his all of his speech bubbles are very vibrant green. It really stands out. When you say that statement, that Vin I mean, it is called Vinegar Teeth. I mean, he is the titular character. He's supposed to be the sidekick, but he is the main character. You know what that reminds me of? is uh, John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, mm. where, uh, you know, Kurt Russell thinks he's the hero of the story, but it's really the other guy that has all the power to stop everything that's the hero. But it's very uh, Big Trouble in Little China-ish when you, when you phrase it that way. Oh, that's true. So on the subject of characters, there is, there is a roster of characters in this story. Uh, yeah, there definitely are. I mean, obviously we have um, Detective Buckle, um, who is, he's, he at one time must have been a good cop. Um, you know, they allude to that. 
Um, but I, I, you know, we, I don't think we actually find out like what happened to kind of like change his luck, but we, something's happened. We, we get bits and pieces. We, we find out like on the last few pages that he was engaged to the, at Dur- the, to- uh, the uh, chief of police, chief of police, and or I think. And he says, like, some things that are kind of counter to his character. Like, you know, the the song that plays throughout the comic, that's, like, his song. It's a very emotive song. He wanted it to be their song. And she's like, I don't give in to that mushy crap. Which is weird, because you would think that would be something Buckle would say instead. So, I, I think it hints at, you know, you know, prior, Buckle was probably a really good cop. He was, you know, really into the chief of police. They had a relationship together. But, yeah, there's a big something there that's caused something to flip that he could still be a good cop but you know his drinking gets in the way of it oh yeah and you know his relationship is definitely not there anymore in fact they don't even reconcile in other kind of cop films or action films you know die hard you know you get some sort of reconciliation at the end that doesn't even happen here but if there's this like peppering that yeah that at one time he was he was better than he is now and maybe this is almost a redemption tale i think that's interesting that you said that you know that you get some sort of reconciliation um we don't really get the reconciliation in any form um because uh buckle doesn't get the girl um and and vinegar teeth goes back into space when we kind of anticipated that he would stay on earth and fight crime with buckle and so it is you know there it it's interesting that this entire story really just twists and turns counter to what you expect. I mean, there's lots of narrative beats that are typical of of a buddy cop or typical of cosmic horror, but they're all twisted. And, you know, we kept thinking, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, what makes this fresh, what makes this interesting and entertaining. And I think it's because there are those twists. There's those twists and there's the self-awareness mm-hmm. without it becoming too campy or too over the top. I mean, there are some sequences in here that become pretty over the top, but it it definitely fits in. It's it's funny, uh, as you were saying, you know, yeah, he doesn't get the girl in the end. He doesn't even get his alien. In fact, there's even a thought bubble, or not thought bubble, a speech bubble, where he, sa- where he's, he says something like, that's my giant scrotum-looking alien, you know, past tense that, you know, he's not here anymore. And, of course, he like, oh, duh, I knew it right when I said it. I should have said it. Um, but, yeah, it's, I feel like he, Buckle learns something through the story that, at the end, there is something changed about him. Probably not a lot, but I do think he's at least a different character at the end than the beginning. So, mm-hmm. in that sort of sense... You know, maybe he's back on the path to being a better cop. That that vinegar teeth did awaken something in him, maybe. Which is is going to be typical of buddy cops because <laughs> typically, you have the experienced cop who is jaded. I think of um, the uh, James Wood, and I think his sidekick or the the newbie cop was was it Michael J. Fox or Charlie Sheen? Do you remember the the Betty Cop movie I'm thinking of? No. Okay, well, anyway, uh, James Wood is really jaded. Um, he's the experienced cop, 
And he's oh, is this real- where, where Michael J. Fox is like a Hollywood actor that yes. gets paired up with him? Yes. I know what movie you're talking about, but I totally can't remember it. Well, I, I was thinking the more grizzled one from uh, uh, 48 Hours, and all of a sudden I can't remember his name all of a sudden. When uh, Nick I, Nolte. Yeah, Nick Nolte is the really grizzled, uh, yeah, I don't he, want to partner with this guy. <laughs> yeah, and there's just this, this like, you know, what the F to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, he's so cynical and I, I feel that Buckle has gotten kind of to that point. And yet, you know, like his appearance, he wears the wide brim hat. It's brown. It's almost like he's been polluted by the world. It's not a white hat anymore, but it's not black either. It's just, just this dirty brown Ooh, that deep fades. cut cowboy reference there. Yeah, that just kind of fades in with the rest of the of the city. Like it's just sitting there, not almost static, and yet in perpetual motion. It's just interesting. There's a there's a lot to peel back with this, but you know. So we do have 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 uh, Buckle, who is the alcoholic. Um, and he's a good, uh, you know, uh, juxtaposition to our vinegar teeth. Why don't you talk about vinegar teeth? Vinegar teeth is like the complete opposite of Buckle in every way. One, he's not human. You <laughs> can't get more what? opposite than that. He's not human. Two, he's a lightweight with his drinking. Three, despite being a grotesque, scrotum-looking alien that's a cannibal that eats people, everyone likes him. People don't like Buckle. They, they, he gets under everyone's nerves. They play pranks on him. He plays pranks. I mean, he kind of asks for it. But, you know, here's this alien who has tentacles coming out. He's grotesque. You know, in a true Lovecraft sense, everyone should be terrified of this character. Everyone should be running in horror. Oh, my God, I can't comprehend this cosmic alien in front of me. Let me, one, faint, because you got to faint. If you're a Lovecraft character, you got to faint. Two, let me go insane afterwards. no. Um, Vinegar Teeth is instead showered with accolades and ribbons and embraced by the public as a hero. Um, and yeah, he, uh, but he's also a different type of cop. You know, he's a he's a cop in training who's who's uh, in his bag of tricks. His thing is to eat people and eat people. He does. And uh, but he's also unlike Buckle. He's polite. He says, please and thank you. He also puts ketchup in his coffee, which is disgusting. <laughs> but there's a, there's a little scene where there's a bubble where he's spraying ketchup in his coffee. But, you know, he's engaging in that cop-like practice of, you know, having coffee with the guys and everything. Yeah, in fact, he gets invited to coffee by Riley and the others. Uh-huh. Now, this is to establish a kind of a, you know, a practical joke. But, you know, uh, they they play on uh, vinegar teeth because he does want to accommodate. He's sincere. He, he, He's he, sincere and yes. naive. And, and he, he really does want to be, you know, a good cop. And Buckle's like, friend. And, and Buckle's friend. And so, you know, Riley and the rest of the detectives play on that. Um, but, yeah. By, by giving him a giant tuba, tuba. Yeah. that he plays in front of Buckle that causes his apartment to explode. Yes. In a very comical way. Yes. Uh, other characters would be, um, we've got, uh, the chief of police, like we were talking about (laughs) earlier, um, uh, a woman who had been engaged to Buckle. Which is kind of subversive, because usually in buddy cop films, you have the, 
I, I think they even poke fun of it in Last Action Hero, but you have the, the grizzled guy who, who really likes his police officers, but he puts on that big front to be all grizzled mm -hmm. and everything. But in this role, it's it's a woman who is doing it. In fact, women occupy a lot of positions of power in this story. They do. Uh, we have the chief of police. We also have Mayor Thorne, mm -hmm. uh, who is a, um, a black woman, and as well as her assistant, uh, Miss Landers, who is also a black woman. And what's interesting is they kind of juxtapose uh, against each other because the mayor is like almost like a motherly type of individual. She actually says, here you go, dearie, as she gives the, because she can't find a place to pin the badge on buckle teeth. She just hands it to him and says, dearie, like, yeah. like you know, here's a, here's a cookie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very motherly. It's very sweet. And yet, uh, her assistant, the the younger woman, Miss Landers, is the one who basically comes over to Buckle um, and lays down the law and the expectations. Because again, as we mentioned earlier, this is an election year. The mayor, you know, uh, sends out her assistant to lay down the law of ha the expectation of this very high-profile partnership between Buckle and Vinegar Teeth. I know. We don't really see what's going on. I wonder how much it is the mayor is in control and sending out the aid, or the mayor's doing her own thing, and the aid is stepping up to kind mm -hmm. of protect the mayor and do her own thing. Because you can go either way with this mm -hmm. type of story. But there, there's some, you know, the, this story was written, what, 2018? Yeah. But there, there's a sequence in here where the aide comes up to Buckle and says, you better vote for the mayor or else. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, sounds like ha-ha, you know, it's kind of funny, but I can't help but feeling like in a post, you know, Trump, you know, 2020 election of all the, you know, kind of, you know, weird stuff going on, you know, Trump making phone calls saying, you better overturn this election or else. It takes some kind of more, instead of being funny, it takes on some, some serious dark vibes that, you know, what we thought would just be kind of outlandish is kind of reality in today. And it's kind of, ooh, that's not good. We need a vinegar teeth to come back from space to save us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, one of the other characters I would say is, uh, Kuzothro, uh, the, basically, Vinegar Teeth's dad. Who's a, yeah, Kuzothro, which is definitely a, a Lovecraftian type of name. Mm -hmm. And he's, I think he's a lot like Azathoth, you know, he doesn't really have a form, he's just kind of this big cosmic blah 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 of something that's you know rendered as best as possible but definitely a super duper oh, yeah. huge you know could crush earth with you know one smack basically yeah i mean there's sequences where it shows brick city and it shows this giant hand coming down and plucking up buildings and even says "Ooh, a snack for later which which of course is it's saying what Lovecraft would never funnily say. You know, you have all the Lovecraftian older gods and stuff like, oh, when they come back, there'll be all this reverie and stuff. And here it is saying the same thing of, ooh, a snack. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing, just different tone. Yeah, it totally humorizes, you know, uh, the cosmic horror of Lovecraft, uh, which is a, a lot of fun, you know, and, and, and helps to create or continue to perpetuate this this horror comic uh comedy you know and that i think you know going back to why this comic succeeds you know 
if you take Lovecraft stuff too seriously, it's really dry and can be very boring. And we've read our fair share of other writers that I'm going to write in the Lovecraftian vein and do it dead serious. And it's, it's usually they're not good. But, you know, if you do something a little different with the Lovecraft formula, in this case, you know, amp up the comedy a bit because it lends well because of how absurd Lovecraft stuff is that it lends well to, you know what, why don't you just crank the absurdity up to, you know, another level, then it becomes, you know, parody or farce or something else and it, it, in skilled hands, it works really well. It works well for Vinegar Teeth, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that might be a good segue into um, another... Uh, component of our discussion which I think is the carnivalesque and I think with that maybe we take a quick musical break and then come back and push on into the carnivalesque Alright, welcome back to the second half of our discussion of Vinegar Teeth. Uh, before we get started talking about the Carnivalesque, though, we want to clarify a point earlier. We were kind of stuck on uh, what was the Buddy Cop film starring James Woods and Michael J. Fox, and that would have been the early 90s magnum opus, The Hard Way. Uh, so that's, uh, we use our break times very seriously here at HP Lovecast to quickly Wikipedia search for things. So let's talk a little bit about the carnivalesque here because I think one of the main things that probably uh, unconsciously or not not on purpose but just happens to do is that Vinegar Teeth really elevates the inherent elements of the carnival that's in H.P. Lovecraft's work. Um, so first, what is the carnival real quick? Well, if you want a really good definition... I'd say check out Michelle's book, James Bond and Popular Culture, because there is an essay in there that talks about the carnival elements in uh, Archer. Um, so, so do that. <laughs> but here's, here's my kind of quick definition. So it's a literary mode made by um, Mikhail Bakhtin. So, quote, The carnivalesque principle abolishes hierarchies, levels social classes, and creates another life free from conventional rules and restrictions, end quote. It is within the carnival that, quote, all hierarchies, distinctions, barriers, norms, and prohibitions, they're temporarily suspended, end quote. So in other words, during the carnival, the world is now topsy-turvy. Uh, etiquette, authority, and social norms are tossed out the window. You know, the king becomes the jester, the jester becomes the king. It's an escape from the normal and the everyday as roles become reversed and excess, especially food and drink, is encouraged along with the use of vulgar language and grotesque acts. Um, Lovecraft himself, you know, has uh, some carnival-esque elements in some of his writing. Um, I think one of the first ones is, you know, drinking, uh, which is irony because Lovecraft himself, I think, was a teetotaler. He, he didn't drink. But if you recall, uh, in some of his short stories, there there is acts of drinking. Um, think of Shadowver Innsmouth, where you know you got Zadok Allen, whose lips are sealed about the secrets of Innsmouth. 
That is, until the main character is like, here's some booze. <laughs> um, think of Dream Quest of Unknown Kadoth, where Randolph Carter gets, I think, moon wine from the Zoogs, and he uses that on uh, High Priest Atoll. Yes, because he's trying to gather information. Yeah. In Lovecraft stories, if you've got booze, you know, the, the tongue becomes a little looser. It's actually interesting that that's when alcohol is used. Yeah. But... So, vinegar teeth. Michelle, oh. how much drinking do you think goes on in vinegar teeth? <laughs> um, let's, let's ask it a different way. How much drinking is not going on <laughs> in vinegar teeth? Um, maybe a couple of pages worth? <laughs> There's maybe, maybe a handful of panels here and there when they're not eating their drink. I mean, pretty ballsy. I mean, Buckle, early in the story, he's even whipping out his flask and drinking in front of the mayor. Buckle is constantly drinking. Um, he's got moonshine tugged away for special occasions. He always has a flask on him. In the last issue, after he regurgitates vinegar teeth, who in turn regurgitates a whole bunch of other things, you know, he's kind of, he's incapacitated because, I mean, well, you just got done vomiting an alien. <laughs> your, your body is probably not ready for that. And so, how does he get back on the up and up? And the chief of police says, hey, Vinegar Teeth, reach into his coat pocket. There's a flask there. Have him drink that. Um, but the, all this drinking that Vinegar, not Vinegar Teeth, that Buckle does, one, it's it's a character trait of him. You know, it's a motivational factor. It's what keeps him going. It's probably part of his spiral from, as we hypothesized earlier, from being a good cop to kind of an eh cop, mm-hmm. is it operates just like the Eli Roth film Cabin Fever. Yeah, and I had totally forgotten about the fact that that centered around that the people that were surviving were the ones drinking the beer. They weren't drinking the water. Correct. That was uh, infected. Yeah, the, the big difference is in cabin fever, you know, the water is infected by a flesh-eating virus. This one is infected by baby embryonic aliens. But, yeah, by, by, by sure virtue of Buckle just drinking booze, while the rest of the town succumbs to madness, he remains unaffected. And in fact, he's actually the one in issue three or four. It's like, oh, it's in the water. And, you know, he yeah. purposely is trying to make himself gag to regurgitate, which is, you know, if you think about it, it's a pretty smart move, you know. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of those few moments where he's operating on the up and up. Um, yeah, it's like that's that's where, you know, where he's had, had tough luck through the the entire series like things just are not going his way and yet here's here's an opportunity for him to save the day and it's because he's an alcoholic and all he does is drink moonshine and and things like that um but it it helps him to be a hero it it helps him to be a hero it helps him you know keep his composure as he and vinegar teeth fight the alien hordes in issue four so go booze (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but it is it's a step up from what Lovecraft shows in his work where you know here's some elements of drinking in an otherwise prohibition era type uh, setting but here it is where the drinking is excessive it is carnivalesque drinking you know buckle is operating constantly drunk his 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 eyes are red and, and his snow- nose is red oh, oh yeah the entire time just all the the physical manifestations mm-hmm. of an alcoholic mm-hmm. are there on his face now the second aspect of the carnival that we're talking about here is eating because the carnival also 
invites indulgence. There's a lot of drinking and eating kind of go together. Um, and, and often eating is a part of the horror genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how many films, you know, have, you know, a key component of, you know, uh, where, where eating is, you know, a central scene or... Yeah, you know, anytime I'm looking at a horror film, I'm... I actually think this would be a great paper, and that is to talk about like when there's an ensemble cast and you get introduced to these people at the dining table. This is like a community uh, activity. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> well, I was actually thinking more like Alien, okay. Event Horizon, you know, those type of things mm-hmm. where, you know, you. this is where their guard is let down because they're amongst friends or hopefully, or new acquaintances, uh, like in Event Horizon. But, you know, that's the time where people come together and uh, they bond and they become a community. And And for an audience, it's a way to introduce people in a natural setting. Exactly. And so, it's you know, it's not surprising that eating would be a component of vinegar teeth, but it's not quite the eating that you would think. (laughs) Yeah, we're talking excessive eating here. Now, Now, in Lovecraft, there's a lot of instances of excessive eating. There's also instances of eating that kind of mimics Lovecraft's real life. You know, real... Lovecraft was, you know, always in poverty. He didn't eat much. I mean, there's that sequence in, you know, Shadow Over Innsmouth where the character, you know, is on the bus and he packed his lunch, which was like just crackers or something. But uh, conversely... <clears throat> very, very typical and, and uh, you know, a readily identifiable sign that while they don't have enough money to be able to actually buy lunch out or something. But then you have some extremes. You have Cats of Ulthar where the cats eat the old cotter and his wife. They deserved it. They deserved it, though. You don't mess with cats. Nope. Um, there's also uh, the boxer, the undead boxer and uh, reanimator that eats the little girl. Uh, Dunwich Horror, they're, they're feeding cattle to Wilbur Watley's brother. So, you know, there's these That's kind right. of uh, extreme cases of, of you know, cannibalism or over an indulgence. Well, here we are in Vinegar Teeth, and while, while Buckle does all the drinking, who does all the eatings? <laughs> that would be Vinegar Teeth. Vinegar Teeth is a cannibal, and... And his cannibalism, he eats everyone. He eats mostly criminals, I should say. You know, his first encounter of Buckle is he eats the top uh, mafioso of Brick City, which is what propels Vinegar Teeth to be a hero of Brick City. When they're out busting French Canadians selling counterfeit cigarettes, he winds up eating them. Now, a lot of that's triggered because I think it's not 100% kind of shown. I think we're kind of inferring it's either blood that triggers it or his dad's kind of voice coming to him. But, you know, for the most part, you know, he's not eating a lot of people, but something triggers it that causes him to lose control and eat uh, the criminals. And that's why later on he has to wear like a scuba diving helmet because I think it might muffle some of the noises he's getting or maybe like the smell, because he says the smell, the smell, so maybe it's the smell of blood that's muffled. Like at one point he does have the the helmet on and there's like, um, there's a ton of blood. It's, (laughs) it's the scene where vinegar or where buckle is like, I don't know where the carnage ends and the evidence begins. It's such and, a great line. And you, and you, and you know, uh, Vinegar Teeth is like, you can, there's like the little sound thing, like he's sniffing the air. Yeah. So. So, but there's something there that does trigger it. And the thing is, is, 
in real life, you know, cannibalism, that's, it's such a, a taboo, almost morbid thing to, to do. I mean, cannibalism films, those are, that's like the one genre of films I barely touch, especially the Italian style, because they get gruesome. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm surprised you were able to watch it. I mean, I could, <laughs> there's no way I could watch that. But, uh, but for, for Vinegar Teeth, you know, so it takes the Lovecraft eating, cranks it up to flat-out cannibalism that occurs multiple times. When when Vinegar Teeth goes out on his own after he's separated from Buckle, because Buckle's mad at him, he tries to arrest two criminals, he eats them instead, but he feels remorse for eating them. He does. But the thing is, here, here's, here's the catch, though, is... He's rewarded for his cannibalism, while you and I and other folks would probably be disgusted, especially in a horror genre of acts of cannibalism. In the story, he's rewarded for it. He gets accolades, he gets promotions. You're now the lead investigator, Vinegar Teeth. And what's his conduct? Is he's eating the criminals. And people seem to embrace it with open arms. Hey, it gets results and stuff. And it's it's really, again, going to the carnivalesque, it's a subversion of what you expect how a cop would operate, how you would expect cannibalism to be treated in modern society. But you know what? I, I was just thinking, can we really call it cannibalism? Because Vinegar Teeth is not a human. Okay, so, so it's, know, it's the wrong word, but it is human eating. It is it, a... Yes, it, it, it goes against what we, you know, is Soylent Green. <laughs> 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 Which needs to be remade, man. Uh, but... So yeah, cannibalism. But but it's the same imagery though. It's the eating yes, of people. Because we kind we kind of you know us as readers accept Vinegar Teeth as part of the group. He's been he, accepted. He's, he's an alien, but he op- even though he's an alien, he's a naive alien. He still operates like a human would operate. He's mm-hmm. emotive. He says please and thank you. He's sincere. There's at times where he's more to borrow Blade Runner quote, human than human, you know, mm-hmm. where, where Buckle's the more cartoonish one with uh, the excessive drinking and, you know, his hat blows off his head, you know, that, that cartoonish thing that here's this alien that's operating more human than, than other folks are learning to be human. You know, there, there's many stories out there, you know, the robot that becomes human or something. And that's kind of what's going on with Vinegar Teeth in a well, way. Well, and what I, one of the things that I really liked about uh, Vinegar Teeth as a character and what is uh, I hadn't mentioned earlier when we were talking about the city but but the concept of, of the language being used is also very kind of like old timey nostalgic um, in that you know he says please thank you ma'am and, and things like that but there's also very little swearing in this book the, the, the swearing from Vinegar Teeth Buckle, Buckle. is dropping I'm going to say bullshit. He says bullshit so many times. He does, but, you know, okay, we know from watching Deadwood, what was the big word in that one, you know, which is pretty damn, you know, strong. But, you know, in this, the the strongest word, I think, is bullshit through through the the series. There might be one or two F-bombs dropped. Well, it starts the F, but then it kind of, like, uh, it kind of peters off Mm. into... Like foo, and you yeah. know, and it and it ends before it becomes that word, but um, but they do say know, things instead instead of calling someone like the f word. It's like you're a real pill. Yeah, so it's very kind of like that innocence, that kind of hard boiled, but you know, crime noir, like you'd read in the comics of the forties. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it, that's just kind of. I, I think that's what makes 
uh, vinegar teeth a, a little more even um, inviting for mm -hmm. us to relate to him <laughs> is that you know he's kind of a child in a way and and we we accept his his naivete mm -hmm. uh, of the world mm -hmm. so but he's still a cannibal despite being an alien he eats people he does eat and, people. and he's yes. applauded for it well, he's he's a vigilante. <laughs> uh, honestly, you know he he circumnavigates, not through any you know he he is he is just it's his nature to well, eat. Well, it's people. weird when you say vigilante though. You know that is a buddy cop thing where mm -hmm. you've got the one cop like I play by my own rules. You know I'm not going to do James all Woods. this red tape <laughs> to uh, you know capture the villain. I'm just going to go out and shoot everyone up and. And, you know, you, you, in real life, you wouldn't do that. It works in films. But in, in a way, yeah, Vinegar Teeth himself operates kind of like a vigilante cop. And what, he does things his own way, which is eating people. But it's mm -hmm. not malissful. He doesn't have that grumbling, you know, we, we would have gotten a, that girl out of the prison if it wasn't for, you know, you people, you know, botching up the swap back. You know, whatever. No, but, <laughs> you know, it, it it is a vigilante um nod mm -hmm. um and it's and the the townspeople the mayor everybody accepts that that's okay now buckle himself also does some eating kind of he is the reverse of vinegar teeth while vinegar teeth is eating buckle is vomiting and then so you you know in the carnival if you're doing a lot of eating and you're going into excessiveness there's probably going to be a chance of you're probably going to vomit it back up. And, you know, I think of this scene from uh, Stand By Me where they're eating all the pie. Um, but there's a scene in here. I call it recursive regurgitation because, you know, the story is told kind of through issues one, two, and three are told through flashback. Um, the mayor is missing and Buckle is on stand and he's being interrogated or, you know, cross-examined or whatever by this lawyer. And, you know, Buckle's body, this is, you know, his body is always contorting because... I mean, you'll find out here in 30 seconds when I get to it. You know, he's all squiggly and everything. And you slowly find out what's gotten to this point. Well, what has happened is the mayor has gone insane because she's eating the, drinking the contaminated water, and so is the aide. Um, and they all realize this. So the, their, <laughs> their brilliant plan to counter all that is somehow or another, Buckle winds up eating Vinegar Teeth. Vinegar Teeth winds up eating the mayor and the aide. And, of course, the mayor and the aide have eaten baby aliens. So right in the middle of the courtroom at the start of issue four, <laughs> Buckle vomits Vinegar Teeth, who in turn vomits the mayor and the aide, who in turn vomits the baby aliens. And you, that... No! <laughs> it's so wrong! It's so... It's the most excessive vomiting scene I have ever, ever seen. Yeah, I think you actually made a good point about the Stand By Me, because there was a lot of vomiting in that, that pie-eating scene. But, but that's just one person vomiting in a pie. This is a person vomiting a person vomiting a person vomiting aliens. But again, that's the excessive nature yeah. of this series. Now, the final and most important aspect, I think, of the carnivalesque is the subversion of authority. Because during the carnival... It's topsy-turvy. You know, the people in power are not in power anymore, and the people not in power are in power. And, you know, it's a literary mode that allows you to, you know, challenge a lot of that stuff. You know, you can write about, you know, you, you critique on power structures and so on and so forth. And what better way to critique authority than the 
buddy cop formula. Now, in Lovecraft stuff, Lovecraft, the authority characters in Lovecraft stories, they're pretty ineffectual. The police officers can never get the stuff done. If you read a, a horror Red Hook or um, Dreams of the Witch House, you know they can't stop you know people getting kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and Inspector Lagrasse and Call of Cthulhu, he can't solve the Cthulhu mystery. Um, even the scientists, you know, who are supposed to be authority of knowledge, you know, you take a meteorite piece to them, they go, I don't know. Yeah, it, it always seems like those that are in authority are never effectual. It, it seems like it's civilians or... It's the amateur know, folks in yes. the Lovecraft stories. If you're just the amateur bookworm, you're or the occult detective or whatever, you're the one that's going to solve this, not the people in power. Um, and that's just Lovecraft stuff. Well, again... Vinegar Teeth cranks that to 11, where authority is extremely subverted. I mean, what better way to snub authority in police procedurals and politics than by having a naive, human-eating alien <laughs> be a police officer? Uh, I mean, uh, it, it takes... I mean, that's inherent in all buddy cop films, especially the more outlandish ones. I mean, it starts with, you know, 48 hours. You know, how does that subvert authority? Well, you have a criminal that you are a buddy cop with. You have the Eddie Murphy character who uses his, you know, criminal skills or whatnot to get through it. Uh, but then you, you, you ramp it up to, you know, here's a kid, here's a dog, here's a T-Rex, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. here's a... Uh, was it? Oh, Red Letter Meter, that they've got space cops. <laughs> Here's a cop from space or whatever. But, you know, all those are like these absurd notions of the police have failed. So how do you get them to be successful? You bring in a non-police person to do the job for them. And it works, you know, from cop and a half to stop or my mama will shoot. Somehow or another, at the end of those stories, it works. And in Vinegar Teeth, it, it harnesses that. It just, it uses a a Lovecraftian cosmic man-eating alien to do so. And the weird thing is, he he's a good cop. I mean, there, there's times where he recognizes he needs Buckles' help, and that's, he mostly needs Buckles' help because he can't stop eating people. But but what's funny about <laughs> that is, and this is a scene that you, you mentioned that you liked, where, you know, um, Vinegar Teeth and Arbuckle are, are not Arbuckle, <laughs> sorry, um, Buckle um, has, have parted ways there for for a brief time and vinegar teeth is trying to do it on his own um and he he's like well what would buckle do oh wait i shouldn't do what buckle do i need to do what is opposite of what he would do right but but he has that it's funny because he's paired with buckle even though as we kind of discuss it it's hinted at buckle was once a great cop now he's just an ant cop but he's a lot of experience and we do see that i mean there's a scene where we're off to the docks. There's always criminal activity at the docks. I love which, that. <laughs> which is so cliche. It sounds like a line from Naked Gun. But sure enough, they get there and there's criminal stuff there. <clears throat> so, you know, Buckle can be a good cop, but for the most part, yeah, he's blowing it because of his drinking and, you know, even his sting operation. It, let's just be honest. If Vinegar Teeth hadn't shown up, it was probably going to go south. Yeah, I mean, Buckle uh, in the opening scene, there was no way... Yeah. Things were going to go well for him because I mean I think they had him met. Yeah. I think they had him made, and and you know here he's holding this bomb thing. He's on his back. How what more a vulnerable position could you yeah. be but that? And, and even if he wasn't made, I think he was just going to screw it up and then oh, yeah. get himself made. So, 
But yeah, th- just the fact that, you know, he's paired with, uh, that Vinger Teeth is paired with, what should have been a good cop, he's kind of an ant cop, but he's got experience, there's the potential to be a good cop, and I like to think that his character arc is, it sets him on the right path to be a good cop again at the end, but just the fact that Vinegar Teeth has that insight to say, don't do what he's doing, you know, mm-hmm. and what, what kind of slap in the face of like kind of authority and police procedural is that, don't do what Buckle does, do what you're supposed to do, eat people okay maybe don't eat people but there's probably a happy medium here but yeah. that's kind of the subversion of authority i mean you know the, the mayor buys into his tactics i mean it's election season how else to win the people over well here's a man-eating alien that's going to clean up the streets and guess what their polls go up they even in fact buckle even makes that joke of you know uh to, to the chief of police, did the polls tell you that? And she's yeah. like, shut up. Because it's totally <laughs> true, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think in conclusion on the, the carnivalesque, because we could probably dive even more... Oh, and the, the language thing as well. The carnivalesque invites, you know, cursing and swearing, and, and Buckle does do a lot of that. While, you know, Lovecraft, there's no dialogue in a Lovecraft story. It's very little. Um yeah. I, th- I think it's a deeper story. I mean, at a surface level, it is entertaining, you know, as a buddy cop film, as a parody, maybe not outright parody, but a little bit of parody, um, taking a Lovecraftian thing and casting it as a, a buddy cop film. Uh, it's fun. It, this is a fun story. It's splatstick, and even though it's horror, I don't think it's scary horror. It's it's fun no. horror. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's 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 gory, but not like... Not, 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 not like Caliban gory, where you feel icky for a character. I mean, there's a sequence where Buckle's trying to phone in a crime, but he's, you know, because a, a corpse exploded in his car. Not exploded, but, like, got cannibalized in his car. Because, yeah, the, the cultists in the story are eating people, so there's more cannibalism there. So he mm-hmm. picks up what he thinks is the, the car receiver, you know, walkie-talkie thing to yep. speak it to it, and what is it? It's a piece of, you know, <laughs> entrails. Yes, it, um, was, it was disgusting. It's disgusting, but it, it's it's funny, though. Um, but Again, it's over the top, yeah. and, and all you can think is like, oh my gosh, you know? But yeah, at, at, at that level, the comment's successful, but at a secondary level, because it's, it's taking those Lovecraft elements that are pretty inert in Lovecraft, they're there. I don't think a lot of people capitalize on them or take advantage of them, but this story does, and it does so in a way that, you know, it really shines that carnivalesque light, not on this story, but hey, this stuff is also in Lovecraft stuff too here. Here's an alternative way to read it, and in that way, I think it's pretty successful. Yes, and um, while while we're uh, coming to a close on, on our discussion with Vinegar Teeth, um, Nick, you actually have, uh, have presented on this, and you've also done a paper that's... Uh, published online and i think people could go and read it if they wanted to uh yeah yeah i mean i I wouldn't mind doing something more of this later especially you know after my paper came out uh our friend and colleague kevin wetmore has a book coming out about uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) cannibals and oh my god i i totally i'm spacing what that book's called we'll find out here in a second so i wouldn't mind revisiting it but yeah i i did vinegar teeth at uh stoker con 2017 i think and then I have a shorter version of the paper published at academia.edu, so maybe one of these days I'll revisit it and turn it into a proper monograph, because there's a lot more to unpack here, uh, but it's it's fun to talk about, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. 
And with that, we'll close up our discussion with uh, Vinegar Teeth and we'll move into our upcoming events. We want to thank Nick Mamatas for providing the opening bumper for this episode. He edited the Wonder and Glory Forever, awe-inspiring Lovecraftian fiction anthology, and is the author of The People's Republic of Everything and Move Underground. He was also responsible for editing English translations of several mangas. We had the pleasure of interviewing Nick last year on our HP Lovecast Presents Fragments podcast, and a link to that program is in the show notes. We wish Nick much continued success. And in our upcoming events... In episode 10 of HP Lovecast Presents Fragments, we will pick up on our exploration of horror and tiki with our discussion of the 1959 film Kaltiki, the Immortal Monster. This episode will post on Sunday, June 20th. On Scholars from the Edge of Time, we will have a new episode streaming on Thursday, June 24th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you don't catch us live, not a problem. The episode will be available afterwards for download. And on our third episode of HP Lovecast Presents Transmissions, we will spotlight two special guests as they discuss a new or upcoming release, as well as provide brief readings. This episode will post on Wednesday, June 30th. HP Lovecast can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our website is hplovecast.com, and of course you can email us at hplovecast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by purchasing our books. We each have Amazon author pages with links to all the books we've either edited or contributed to. Uh, if you feel like donating a dollar or two, we also have a coffee account. A link to all this is provided in the show notes. As always, thank you so very much for listening. <laughs>